All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. If you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online someplace around the world, always grateful to have you with us as well. We are in the fourth and final week of a series called If I Could Just Be Free. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, which means that the more you're filled with God's Spirit, the more that freedom is going to characterize your life. But many of us aren't free, are we? We're filled with things like regret and anxiety. We're consumed by destructive habits. And today's message is titled, If I Could Just Be Free of Resentment. Let me ask you, is there anybody in your life that you resent? Maybe you're filled with resentment towards this person. Maybe you're consumed with your anger towards them. Or maybe it's just a little bit of resentment. Maybe it's just a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of pain. A while back, I came across a book uh, by Marie Kondo called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And the premise of her book is that tidying up is a kind of magic and that decluttering and organizing is an art form. Call me skeptical on that. I was even more skeptical when I read the first part of her book about how to clean out your closet. And her main point in this is the key to cleaning out your closet is to decide which pieces of clothing you want to keep and which ones you want to get rid of. I thought, duh, didn't need to spend money to figure that one out. But then she gives a suggestion on how you should make this critical decision of which piece of clothing to give away and which ones to keep. She says you should pick up each article of clothing. You should look at it and you should ask this question. Do you spark joy? And if the answer is yes, you should keep it. And if the answer is no, well, then you should get rid of it. I couldn't help but laugh at the idea of picking up every piece of clothing in my closet and going, do you spark joy? I think all I'd have left is underwear and V-necks if I did that. And I'm not even really sure about the V-necks, to be quite honest with you. That's how I feel about my clothes. But I'm kind of a pack rat when it comes to clothing. In fact, recently I was going through my closet and I found a bunch of old t-shirts and jerseys. They were jammed away in some dark crevice. They haven't seen the light of day in years. I should probably get rid of these. Let me show you just a couple of them. This first grouping is kind of the category of memories. So I got this t-shirt when I won the intramural basketball championship at Bethel. It says on there, I am a recreational sports champion, <laughs> which means... It didn't matter and it doesn't count, okay? That's really what they're telling you when they call you a recreational sports champion. This one's kind of a classic. This is a Twins t-shirt from spring training back when they played in Orlando in Tinker Field. That's kind of a cool one. And then I've got some autographed jerseys. I have got an autographed Ricky Rubio jersey, but as you can see, it's like a double XL. So I could never wear this out in public. Maybe I could sell it and get some money. I'm not really sure about that. This next jersey is one that I would love to be able to get some money for someday. This is my ninth grade basketball jersey. I signed my own jersey. But I didn't sign it Jason Strand. I signed it Strand Diesel which was my rapper name in high school. I'm dead serious about that. If you don't know, you better ask somebody, okay? Uh, 
this next category is gifts that I've gotten from other people. So someone gave me this t-shirt a long time ago from the Strand Bookstore in New York. Since that's my last name, I feel like I kind of have to hang on to that one. This one is a basically a spray-painted drawing of my oldest son when he was a baby. Don't ask me how I got this or who gave this to me. It kind of creeps me out. I'll just be honest with you. I feel like it looks like Chucky from the Halloween movies. And so if I were ever going to wear this, it would probably be when kids are trick-or-treating and I want to freak them out. You know, they come to the door and I'm like, you know, kind of get in their face. That's what I would probably use that for. And then this final one I got as a gift from someone here at Eagle Brook. They never, I don't think I know who it is, but I actually wear this one. This is fantastic. It's a Waffle House t-shirt. Love Waffle House. Thank you for that gift. But each of these t-shirts and jerseys, I'm attached to them. That's why I don't get rid of them. Even though they're jammed away in some dark crevice someplace, there's something about them that I tend to want to hold on to them. T-shirts and jerseys aren't the only thing that we get attached to, are they? We can become attached to emotions like anger and resentment. We don't want to, but we tend to store them up in some dark crevice of our heart. And there they can sit for years. We know we should get rid of them. We know we should let them go. But there's something in us that holds on to them. And when that happens, resentment starts to pile up. That's why for some of you today, you need to clean out your closet. Now, I don't mean your literal closet. Go ahead and do that if you need to. But I'm aiming a lot higher in this message. I'm hoping that you will clean out the closet of your heart. I'm hoping that you will dig into the deep, dark crevices and you will get rid of the resentment that is there. Here's a definition of resentment for you. You feel a sense of bitterness towards someone because you think they've treated you unfairly. You just feel this sense that what they did to me was wrong, and now I'm going to hold on to that sense of bitterness. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Wouldn't it be nice if it were that easy? Just get rid of it. Just, just, just get rid of your bitterness. Just get rid of your rage. That's kind of easy to do when you're talking about a t-shirt. A little bit more difficult to do when you're talking about things like resentment or bitterness. In fact, Paul makes this sound so easy. Don't you wonder if he ever had to do this? I mean, it's easy to throw out platitudes about get rid of your bitterness, get rid of your rage when you've never had to actually forgive another person. Is that what's happening here? Hardly. Look at what Paul mentions in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Another translation said he did much evil to me. And then just a few verses later, Paul writes this. He says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. Let me ask you, have you ever felt abandoned before? Paul certainly did. He was brought before a judge for a crime that he had never even committed, and all of his Christian friends just bailed on him. That hurts. I mean, I don't get the impression he's that close to Alexander the coppersmith, but now we're talking about his closest followers and friends. And so when Paul says, get rid of your bitterness, get rid of your rage, he knows what that's like. He's actually had to do that in his life. 
You know, the sad truth about resentment is the person it hurts the most is ourselves. It hurts us more than anyone. In fact, Americans spend millions of dollars every year on things like anti-aging cream. But nothing will age you more than unresolved resentment. Studies have shown the connection between your health and chronic anger. For example, the New York Times released a study several years ago. And in that study, they found that chronic anger is as dangerous to your health as a regular smoking habit, high-fat diet, or obesity. They found things like heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, ulcers, and insomnia are all connected to unresolved anger and resentment. University of Michigan did a study just recently where they tracked women for 18 years. So that's a pretty significant study, to follow people for 18 years. And what they shockingly found was that the women who suppressed their anger, so the ones who just said, oh, I'm not going to deal with this, I'm going to pretend this didn't happen, I'm just going to kind of move on and sweep it under the rug, the ones who did that were three times more likely to die during the course of those 18 years than those who didn't. You've heard that resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's true. Maybe more so than we even realize. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Isn't it interesting that he refers to bitterness as a root? Because think about this with me for a moment. Where do roots grow? Well, they grow underground, don't they? They're beneath the surface where you can't necessarily see them. Bitter roots are the exact same way. They grow under the surface where other people can't necessarily see them. In fact, other people might look at your life and they might say, boy, that person is so happy. And they've just got this perfect little life, but that's on the surface. Beneath the surface, there's a bitter root that's beginning to grow. And some of you have had a bitter root like that growing in your heart for years. 1 Corinthians 13 says this about love. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Bitter roots are the exact opposite of that. Bitter roots keep a detailed record of wrongs. That's what roots do. They absorb things. In fact, one of the ways that you can know if you have a bitter root in your life is if there's someone that has hurt you and you can remember every detail. I mean, you can remember everything they said, what they were wearing, where you were, and you just kind of fantasize about what you would do or say if you're in that situation Again, it is a bitter kind of root. You may do things like give that person silent treatment. You might want to avoid them. You might want to say things like, you know what? I am never going to forgive them for what they have done. It's a bitter root in your heart. And not only does he say there's a bitter root, but he says there's a poisonous fruit. I would say it this way. Bitter roots lead to poisonous fruit. What I mean is this, what starts out underground, what starts out growing underneath the surface is eventually going to grow into a fruit that everyone can see. Your resentment will surface. It'll surface in the form of defensiveness. It'll surface in the form of being easily angered or offended. But mark my words, it will surface. Do you know anybody like this? I mean, you can just tell they wear their resentment and anger like a sweater. It's just all over them. And every time you talk to them, you can just tell they're frustrated 
about this and they're angry about that and they feel like their situation in life isn't what it should be. And everybody else can see it except them. In fact, the author of Hebrews, he concludes this verse and he says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. And then he adds corrupting many. The Greek word for corrupting here carries with it this idea of being contaminated, stained or polluted. In other words, do you have a relationship in your life right now that has become contaminated or stained? Who is it or what is it that you are bitter and resentful about? For some of you, it's one of your coworkers. They got the position that you thought you deserved. They said some things about you that weren't true. For some of you, it's your former employer. They let you go and the way they did it and the timing that they did it in was just wrong. And you carry with you this resentment and bitterness towards them. For some people, it's a close friend. I mean, they were there for you one day. The next, they weren't. A lot of people, it's their mom and dad. I mean, a lot of people look at their mom and their dad and they go, it's your addiction. It's your abandonment. It was your affair that hurt me growing up. And I carry a lot of resentment towards you for that. Divorce is a big area. People resent their stepdad or their stepmom. They resent their ex. Some people even resent a person they've never even met before. I mean, a politician, public figure, someone they've never even met before. But when they see that person, think about that person, there's this rage that begins to boil up out of their heart. Some people even resent God. They resent that their prayers weren't answered the way that they hoped they would be or that their circumstances in life are the way that they are. Let me ask you again, who is it that you have a little bit of resentment and bitterness towards? Friends, I'm telling you, it's a bitter root. And that bitter root will continue to grow in a dark crevice of your heart, growing more poisonous by the day. That's why you've got to clean out your closet. You've got to get rid of that resentment and that bitterness. Let me give you two ways that will help you get there. Here's the first one. You've got to love your enemies. Now, I realize that the moment I say that, some of you kind of go, oh, because there's a person in your life who has hurt you deeply. And here's what I want you to know. I'm not telling you you need to pretend that didn't hurt. I'm not telling you just to put a grin on your face and bear it. I'm not even asking you to have a relationship with that person moving forward. Sometimes boundaries are the wisest thing that you can do. But oftentimes when another person hurts us, our reaction is, well, I'm going to hurt you. You did that to me. I'm going to get back at you. Look at what Jesus says about this. This is so countercultural. This is so counterintuitive. If you actually think about what he's saying, it's pretty amazing. He says this, love your enemies. I mean, that's a really powerful statement. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Let me ask you, have you ever prayed for someone who's hurt you before? That's not normal. And very few people actually do that. But Jesus says that this is what we should do as followers of Christ. He goes on in the next verse. He says, if you love only those who love you, then why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. In other words, easy to love the person who loves you. Easy to do good to the person who's done good to you. But what about when that person's betrayed you? 
What about when that person said something about you that was so untrue and so hurtful to you in your life? What do you do then? Jesus says these words, love your enemies, do good to them. And then he adds, then your reward from heaven will be very great. When I was in college, I applied for a youth pastor job in Maple Grove. And I was, get, got my resume together. I lined up my references. I went in for the first interview. And during the interview, one of the board members said to me, you know, you seem pretty good socially. Your reference said that you weren't. And right away, the senior pastor was like, oh, you can't say what the references said. But the damage was kind of already done. And I knew exactly which reference this was. And I felt hurt by it. First, I didn't think I was great socially, but I didn't think I was like that bad. And then secondly, this was a person I trusted. And I really wanted their approval. And so for years, I carried this resentment. I didn't even see this person anymore, but anytime their name would come up, I could feel the bitterness moving from my heart into my mouth. It was a toxic kind of taste. I carried that resentment for 15 years. And then one day I read these words of Jesus and I was so convicted that I decided I was going to do something nice for this person. I was going to do something kind and good. Now, I can't go into details of what I did because what if they listen to this message? And they're like, you only did that because you resented me? And then they might resent me. And I don't want to do that to them. Although then maybe they do something nice for me and I'd end up winning out on that. So who knows? But, <laughs> but Jesus says this. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who harm you. Pray for those who hurt you. It's amazing what a kind act or a simple prayer can do to shift the attitude of your heart. But some of you say, well, that's just an easy one. I mean, you're talking about a simple job interview when you're in college. I mean, this person hurt me so bad. They hurt me deeply. And, and I don't feel like they deserve to be forgiven. And I would say to you, you are right. They don't deserve to be forgiven. But do you know who else doesn't deserve to be forgiven? You, me. The Bible says at one time we were enemies of God. You say, when was I ever an enemy of God. Well, we all ignored God at one point or another in our lives. We've all done things that God has specifically asked us not to do. We have been an enemy to God, and yet what did God do for us? He loved us. He did not treat us as our sins deserved, which is why I'm hoping that some of you today can do this. Stop thinking about what's been done to you and start thinking about what's been done for you. You have a God who loves you who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay the penalty that you could never pay on your own, to cancel your debt, to forgive your sin. He's given you life and breath. He's given you a hope and a future. You have a great church. You have people who love you. You have a roof over your head and food on the table. What has been done for you is so much greater than what's been done to you. And when you can believe that and you can begin to internalize that, you can actually love a person that you consider an enemy. Here's the second way to get rid of resentment. It's very simple. You have to release your resentment. Proverbs 27 verse 3 says this. It says, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but the resentment caused by a fool is heavier than both. 
I was talking to one of our volunteers recently, and she told me that as a part of a CrossFit competition she was in, she had to run a mile carrying an 80-pound bag of sand. I said, what? She said, I ran a mile carrying an 80-pound bag of sand. I said, why? Was somebody chasing you? She said, no, we did this for fun. It's kind of what CrossFit is all about. I said, I don't get that. That doesn't sound fun to me. Then she, I said to her, I said, what was in the bag? She said, sand. I don't get that. If somebody gave me an 80-pound bag of chicken wings, I'd run with that, right? <laughs> I'd be like, hey, you know, this is great. I'd grab that 80-pound bag of chicken wings. I would run. And if there was somebody else who wanted the chicken wings, and they're like, hey, I want those, and they started running after me, I would run away. I would try to get to my house with the 80-pound bag of chicken wings, and I'd run a mile if I had to. But I don't get carrying an 80-pound bag of sand. And yet, that's what the Bible says that some of us do every single day. It says that resentment is heavier than a stone and an 80-pound bag of sand. Which means that there are some of you who you carry this weight with you every day. That when you walk into work in the morning, you see people and you're like, hey, Tyler, hi, Katie, how you doing? And the whole time you have an 80 pound bag of sand just weighing you down. You go to school and you see your friends and you're like, oh, what up? You know, and you look great on the outside. But the whole time there's this anger and this rage that's within you. And who's that weighing down, by the way? It's weighing down you person you resent, they're, they're walking around free and easy. Your resentment doesn't affect them at all. It's weighing you down the most. By the way, there's not 80 pounds in this bag of sand. We, we just made it look that way so I'd look cool, but there's way less than that. Uh, but some of you say, you know what? I don't feel like forgiving that person. And I would say, of course, you don't feel like forgiving them. If you wait until you feel like forgiving them, you're going to be waiting a long time. This is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process of battling those feelings. Some Christians will say, forgive and forget. That's not true. You forgive and then you remember. You forgive that person and then you go, oh man, I loaned him that money. He still haven't paid me back. I'm so frustrated about this. And you have to remind yourself, wait a minute. I forgave them for that. It's a lifelong process. How do you release your resentment? Well, let me give you a simple exercise that can maybe help. It's just breathing in and breathing out. So when you breathe in, picture yourself breathing in God's grace and God's forgiveness. And then when you breathe out, picture yourself extending that grace and forgiveness to another person. Friends, you exhale what you inhale. If you are inhaling anger and resentment, well, that's what you're going to exhale out into your relationships. But if you are inhaling God's grace and God's forgiveness, if you're taking that in every day, well, then maybe, just maybe, you can extend that same grace and forgiveness to the person who's hurt you the most and who deserves it the least. Colossians 3.13 says this, Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Notice the word must. He doesn't say, you know, you, you should forgive them, or if you feel like it, it's probably a pretty good idea. This is a non-negotiable. He says you must forgive 
others. And this really is an issue of trust, isn't it? See, here's what I believe. I believe that that person who hurt you, one day they're going to have to stand before Almighty God and give an account of their life. Do you believe that? And do you believe that in that moment, God will be fair and God will be just? The Bible says that vengeance is the Lord's, which means I don't have to take revenge. I don't have to get vengeance. God will do that for me. But I can still hear some of you objecting. Because as C.S. Lewis famously said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. And that's very true. And there are some of you here today who you have someone that you need to forgive. And all throughout this message, there's been this little dialogue going on in your brain looking for a loophole, looking for the reason why you're the exception and you don't really have to get rid of your resentment towards that person. You don't really have to get rid of your bitterness because, I mean, come on, I don't feel it. It's their fault. They don't deserve it. There's all these different reasons. There might be someone who said something about you that was untrue and it damaged your reputation. There might be someone who criticized you or gossiped about you and it hurt you deeply. There are some of us here who have been cheated on. And that moment that you found out that your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend was cheating was the worst moment of your life. I mean, it just felt like time stopped for just a moment. Some of you were abused. Maybe physically, emotionally, sexually, but you, you can still remember that moment. You can still see the face. It's like it happened just yesterday. And the question is, how do you forgive a person like that? Well, I want to show you the story of a woman who had to forgive someone like that. And this is a miraculous story of what God can do in a person's heart. And when we see these stories, sometimes we think, oh, they just snapped their fingers and they felt differently and they just did it. But I'm telling you, this was a process. It was a long process of every single day saying, Lord, give me the power to forgive this person. And God did something supernatural and miraculous. And he can do it in your life as well. Take a look. Is this an emergency? Yes, ma'am. Okay, what's going on? Um, this is going to sound really odd, but uh, I, I ended up killing my father and my brother. Okay, what's your name? Uh, Christopher Bethard. Okay, and are you in Monticello right now? Yes, ma'am. My name is Gwen Besser. If you Google my name, you'll find a horrid, tragic story. A broken family, broken hearts. It's hard to believe it's my life. It's a story of tragedy, which God has used for great glory, healing, forgiveness, and love. I got married to Todd in 2013, and it was an amazing day. He truly was a gift from God, and I had prayed for him, and God provided. 
Todd was a cop and he loved it. He was good with people. He had great people skills. Always complimenting people. Always had a good word to say. Everybody thought Sunshine was their nickname from him, but he called everybody that, so. <laughs> yeah. Todd had three sons, um, 21, 24, and 26 when we got married. His sons were his everything. He loved his boys so much. The youngest, Christopher, had some real um, anger issues. Didn't feel like he measured up to his siblings or his dad, and never would. He would do temporary jobs. They would love him, they would want to hire him, then he'd go home and drink himself to the point where he wouldn't go to work again. And so he'd lose that job, and he just kept that pattern. And that's when tension probably started more of, what do I do with this kid? How do I help him? You know, there's a fine line between enabling and, and making them responsible, and he was struggling with that. May 9th, 2015, Todd went over to check on Christopher, who was intoxicated, we'd been told. They had an argument or discussion in the garage about Christopher and his lifestyle and how he needed to change it. Get a job, get treatment, quit messing up your life. Todd went in the house and went down on his computer in the basement. Then Christopher went in the house and he sat down on the couch in the living room and was contemplating how angry he was at his dad. And he just thought if he got rid of his dad, he'd get rid of all his problems. So he went and got his shotgun, walked downstairs, and shot his dad in the back of the head. Went back upstairs, shot his brother in the stomach, and drove away. <laughs> the doorbell rings, and there's three of Todd's partners standing there. And I looked at him and I said, I'm a widow, aren't I? I never experienced anything so heavy that I really couldn't breathe because it hurt so bad. And I just sat in the house crying and yelling at God, going, he didn't deserve this, because he didn't. Nobody deserves that. We're so happy, and how could he take his life? How could he kill his dad? Grief has so many stages. I'm sure it manifested in a lot of ways. There was definitely anger, and I feel like I was justified that anger. When there's something so wrong, it's okay to be angry at it. There's righteous anger in that. I wanted him to go to prison and never get out. He needed to pay the consequences for what he'd done. He's destroyed two lives. His life needs to be spent inside the prison walls for the rest of his life. Obviously, the first week is filled with funeral. People, condolences. My friends never left my side. My family didn't leave my side. They were all right there for me. Three weeks later, it's Christopher's birthday. It's his 22nd birthday. I feel God calling me to go see him. And I knew that I needed to forgive him. I don't want to. I could care less if I ever saw him again. But I knew my husband would want me to show him Jesus. I knew God wants me to show Jesus to him. As I sat down to do my devotions that morning, I said, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what this looks like. 
you have to walk me through this. I opened to a devotional that was, don't run from the tragedies in your life. Allow me to walk you through them and bring glory to me. As hard as that is, as hard as that was, I did it. I went and I was able to tell him, your only way you're gonna find peace is with God. You have to let God in your heart and that's where you'll find your peace, even inside jail. It was torture to go. I hated it. I hated it. It was definitely an act of obedience. But forgiveness is swallowing your pride and your hurt and trusting God to heal and carry you in it. If I hadn't chosen to forgive, I can't even fathom the anger and bitterness that would be inside of me. I have every right to be angry at him. Um, he's hurt me deeply. He's hurt a lot of people deeply. But I choose joy. I choose love and I choose life. I don't know how people go through anything without God though, because that's the only way, the only way I've been able to feel like I've come through this in any way, shape, or form. I still dread the thought of going every time I go, but I actually enjoy my visits with him. I've asked God from the beginning to love him through me because I don't have a love for him. I can honestly say God has now given me a love for him that is not of me. There's no way it's from me, but I can say I love him to his face and mean it. That's not Gwen. No way, no how. That's God. One of the miraculous parts of this story is that Gwen has since led Chris to faith in Christ. But she says that every day she has to wake up and she has to say, God, would you give me the power to forgive? There are some of us here right now who... There is a person in your life that God is asking you to forgive. And I'm telling you, it's going to be an act of the will. Gwen referred to it as an act of obedience. You won't feel like doing it. Everything in you will resist it. But at some point you say, this is an act of the will. And I'm going to ask that God would give me a power a supernatural kind of power that I don't have on my own, but that God would do it through me. That he would give me the love for that person that I do not have. And that he would get rid of that bitterness and that resentment. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Do good to those who harm you. Pray for those who hurt you. Know that vengeance is the Lord's. And that one day there will be a great reward for you. When you release your resentment, you are the one who gets set free. Let's stand together at all of our campuses and close in prayer. Lord, right now, 
I pray for healing. But there are some of us, God, who have had a relationship so fractured, so broken, so contaminated and stained, that it's only by your power and your strength that it can be healed again. God, would you give us a forgiveness and a love that we don't have on our own? And would you set us free, God, from the anger and resentment that's in that dark crevice of our heart? Lord, there are others of us here who maybe it's just a little bit, just a little bit of bitterness but it's a root and roots grow. And so God, before it gets bigger and worse, I pray that we would take the steps to get rid of that resentment and bitterness that's in our heart. Whatever that looks like, God, would you speak to us about that? If that's praying for that person, if it's doing something good to them, if it's simply just declaring to you that we choose to forgive them, Whatever that looks like, God, would you speak to us about that? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.